So if you're with me today, then you can turn with me to John chapter 11. We are continuing our series on the Gospel of John. John chapter 11 today. We're talking on the subject, I am the resurrection and the life, which is very exciting this morning. Now, I did preach a message on Lazarus. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, something like that. Um, and it was around the signs when Jesus was performing signs. And so I'm coming at this from sort of quite a different angle than I did do before. Um, so anyway, we're going to read from verse 17. It's 896 in my Bible. I have no idea what it is in your Bibles. <laughs> it says here, well, actually, let me just give you some context here. Lazarus is sick. Most of you would know that by now. We're turning to the story of Lazarus. We know. It's a very famous story. He was sick, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And these sisters um, and Lazarus were personal friends of Jesus. In fact, aside from Jesus' family, uh, they would have been the closest people to Jesus, probably, um, throughout his ministry time. And Bethany is just uh, right next to Jerusalem. It's very close. Jesus was four miles down the road at this point of time when Lazarus got sick. Mary and Martha, no doubt, had exhausted all of the medical options at their disposal of ancient Israel. And it got to a point where things were turning pretty bad. And so they decide to send word to their miracle worker friend. Oh, we know somebody. We have a personal friend who happens to be a miracle worker. There were no Ubers in that day, obviously, so Jesus couldn't get to Bethany very quickly, no, no scooters or anything like that. So they send a runner off with a note. And uh, the note read, Lord, the one you love is sick. And that makes for a great message, but we're not talking about that today. The message goes back, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. That's what he writes back. The runner goes off. And then Jesus conveniently takes four days to get to Lazarus. He takes his time. He spends two more days where he is. And then he takes another two days um, walking. He stays at the house of Zacchaeus, um, who had a famous party and gets saved at this party. And anyway, he finally turns up to Bethany. And this is the arrival of Jesus at Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Martha stayed at home. Mary stayed at home, rather, sorry. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know now that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Father, we thank you for your word today. We know that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today and Jesus, take center stage. Lord, show yourself today by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder today, um, 
Have you, have you ever coped with a situation through avoiding it? We got any honest Christians in the building today? <laughs> I have a confession to make this morning. I am a hopeless avoider. I'm really hopeless, okay? Um, oftentimes, um, in order, well, as opposed to, to facing or confronting or dealing with um, certain situations or, 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 or certain realities in my life, I, I cope with it by avoidance. Have you ever, have you ever done this before? Um, okay, you're lying if you haven't. <laughs> okay, my choice of avoidance are, are fairly obvious choices, okay, and they, and, and they might link up with some of yours as well. Okay, Netflix, for one, um, is a great choice of avoidance, isn't it? Friends, currently watching Friends at the moment. I watch myself happy. It's great. Um, piece of therapy for me. Um, another choice of avoidance is, is comfort eating. Have, have you, okay, girls, let's be honest this morning, okay? Oh, all right. <laughs> okay. No, I'm not bad. I mean... <laughs> Shouldn't have gone there, shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> Instant regret. <coughs> okay, guys, <laughs> I look, I'm a comfort eater myself. I, I comfort eat all the time. Pizza and beer on a Friday night, it's brilliant. I love it, pizza, chocolate, um, what else? Yeah, lots of bad stuff that I should not eat, but I eat myself happy. You know, have you ever done that? You eat yourself happy. And the other one, which I kinda like a whole lot, is retail therapy. Anybody like a bit of retail therapy? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. When the tough gets going, the tough goes shopping, right? Is that what they say? <laughs> retail therapy, oh, it's, it, it makes me feel real good. Okay, especially like when it comes to clothes shopping. Well, I don't think of them as clothes. I think of them as outfits. I'm a modern metrosexual man. Deal with it. Don't judge me. Okay. Um, but, but I, like, I kind of like clothes shopping. And there's nothing like a new outfit that makes you feel like a new man, is there? It's, it's fantastic. You would agree with me, wouldn't you, Mark? Yes, you would. <laughs> yeah, you feel me, Ex absolutely. I'm, I'm sure if we're honest with ourselves this morning, I think, there's, I think there's many ways in which each of us deal and cope with present realities through the act of avoidance, right? Whether it's <laughs> watching yourself happy, eating yourself happy, or shopping yourself happy. I think there's, there's many various ways in, in which each of us deal with, with our present situations. And this morning, Martha happens to be no different to you and me. Jesus turns up at this town. He arrives, and Martha is at the outskirts of Bethany and they enter into a conversation. And what are the first words that come out of her mouth? If, if you had only been here, Jesus, then things would be different. She immediately defers from her present into her past. She goes straight into her past and she said, you know what, look, I, I mean, look, you, it, he's been dead for four days. If we had only not exhausted all of the medical options first, and then if we, we, we know that you're a miracle worker, if, if we had just sent for you sooner, if you had just come sooner, Jesus, if, if you had been here, then this would not have happened. And she allows these dangerous words to enter her vernacular, woulda, if, if I just, if I just woulda, and I, but I coulda, and I know I just, I know I just shoulda. Have you ever found yourself avoiding 
present realities by entertaining your past? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there like Martha? I don't know about you, but if we're going to be honest this morning, I've, I've been there a lot. You know, and maybe in more recent times, it's so easy in a, in a weak moment for me, I find, uh, to, to, to entertain the woulda, the coulda, the shouldas of my past, and I, and I live in it, and I journey back, and I think, man, if, I, if, if I'd only done this, and if, I'd, if I could only change that, then, then things might be, might be different for me. I wonder if you have ever entertained that in your life before. And if you have, oh, then you can connect with Martha today. You know, in doing so, in traveling into our past and entertaining the woulda, coulda, shouldas of our yesterday, ultimately we allow our past to rob us of our present, right? Our past ends up enslaving us. Our past ends up incarcerating us and chaining us to it, our yesterday. And we are not free to live as we might would in the present. It robs us of our present. I want you to know today, that's not what Jesus wants for you. Jesus doesn't want the past to rob you of your present. The good news for you today is that Jesus offers a fresh slate. He offers a brand new start. The Bible says that all things have been made new. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. You no longer need to allow the past to rob you of your present. Amen? This is what John Newton famously said. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But I am still not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul famously talks about this same concept in Corinthians. He talked about how he was the worst of all sinners. Yet I am what I am by the grace of God. And I want for you to maybe, you know, for those of you who are maybe being held captive to your past, and maybe you've had some weak moments recently, I want to encourage you to make peace with your past because Jesus has dealt with your past. And who you are today, you are by the grace of God. Amen? Jesus replies, and he says to her, he rep- she is deferring to her past. Jesus, Jesus tries to defer the conversation back to her present, and he says, Martha, your brother will rise Again, he speaks these very words to her. And then this is what she does next. She again defers because it's easy to cope with her present reality by deferring. So she avoids the situation and she throws these words, this promised, way into her future. And she says, ah, yeah, like I know he'll rise at the resurrection of the last day, like way in the future somewhere like a future that I can't even fathom right now. That's when he'll rise. 
I wonder, have you ever done the same as Martha? Have you ever deferred to the future? We used to have these binoculars as little kids. My grandfather would have them, like these really old ones, early 20th century stuff. And um, when we, me and my sister were young, we used to play with these binoculars. And uh, we all know that when you put a binocular to your eye, it brings the objects close to you, doesn't it? But, but when you, you know, as kids, we would turn the binoculars the other way around, and we would put the big side of the binocular to our eye, and it would then send the objects really far away. And I have known myself and others concerning the promises of God to not use binoculars, spiritual binoculars possibly, in, in the normal way in bringing the objects close to the eye, but rather in turning them around and sending them far, far away into a dim and distant future. And I wonder if you've ever done that with the promises of God today. If you've ever turned the binoculars the other way around and instead of drawing the object close to your heart, you send them far, far away into a dim and distant future just like Martha did. God is not slack concerning his promises. He spoke a very word that your brother will rise again. And she sent those words into a distant future. But God wants you to know that his promises are yes and amen. That which he says he will do. His word is his promise. He is not slack concerning his promises like you and I. If he said it, then that settles it. You can trust, you can rely, you can stand upon the word of God today. You can stand upon his promises because his promises are yes and amen. Jesus replies by saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha defers to her past. She defers to her future. And Jesus brings it back to her present. And he uses this statement, Martha, I am. He doesn't say, I was or I will be. He brings it to the present moment, the present tense. And he says, Martha, today, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me shall not die, but shall live. Whilst Martha was avoiding her present and her future, Jesus was trying to address her present situation. He was interested in her present, and Jesus is interested in your present today. The psalmist says this, famous words in Psalm 46, God is our ever-present help in time of need. He is not absent. God is not found wanting. He is our ever-present help in time of need, isn't he? There is such a thing called the omnipresence of God. And the omnipresence of God is just a really big theological word that means God is all present. He is everywhere at every time. And like a roll call, God has a perfect attendance history. He is never absent. And if you have put your faith in him today, then you can know without beyond a shadow of a doubt 
that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, but he will be with you even until the end of the age. Isn't that comforting to know that we have an ever-present help in our time of need? Can you give him a clap for me? (laughs) He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to talk about faith and belief. And he said, the one who believes in me shall not die, but shall live. Jesus addresses her present situation and in doing so addresses the condition of her faith. Because that seems to be what Jesus is really interested in. It's interesting, seven times in this account, the story alone, does the word believe come up. Which seems to just echo um, Uh, John's love of sevens. Throughout this book, there's sevens littered throughout it. Seven, of course, is the biblical number for completion and fulfillment. Um, So there is seven times that the word believe is mentioned in this account. It's first mentioned to the disciples. Jesus is interested in the disciples' faith. Remember, this is two weeks before Jesus is about to go to the cross. So time, it backs against the wall. There is an urgency here. He is interested in faith, his disciples' faith. So he says, I'm going to Lazarus. I will rise. I will raise him, sorry from the dead so that you might believe. He says to Martha, Martha, he will rise again. Do you not believe this? Okay, I'm going to do this. Why? So that you might believe. And then as he's standing at the tomb of Lazarus before all the people, all the Jews who are standing there who have come to comfort Mary and Martha, he prays out to God. And in this prayer, as he says it out loud, he says, Father, I'm going to do this so that all the people here might believe. Jesus is interested in in your faith. This seems to be the most important concern of his. Why is he so concerned with faith? Why doesn't Jesus say, if you love me? Why doesn't he say, if you serve me? Why doesn't he say, if you imitate me? Why does he say, if you believe, then you shall not die? Why is Jesus so concerned with faith? Charles Spurgeon famously says these words, faith is not a self-serving agent in the way that love, service, or imitation can be distorted to be. Rather, faith is a self-forgetting agent, and therefore, it is a suitable conductor for grace. That makes sense. Let me explain. Faith in itself is the means by which we connect with God. It is not an agent to, it is not like love. It is not a feeling. We can't see it. We can't taste it. We can't touch it. It is simply a conductor, something that connects us to. And this is what Jesus is interested in. He is interested in connecting our souls to his. And so he says, if you believe... I don't know how many of you are using um, Wi-Fi this morning, the SPS Wi-Fi. It's great, isn't it? Um, Well, if you are, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Wi-Fi is one of those things that you can't see, you can't feel, you can't smell it, you can't taste it, you you can't comprehend it. You know, it's not floating in a cloud somewhere in in SPS this morning. We can't comprehend Wi-Fi, but it is there. And how do we know it's there? Because if we're on the Wi-Fi network, It just magically connects us to what we need. And faith operates in the same way. 
we can't see faith, we can't touch faith, we, we can't handle faith, we can't smell faith, we, we, this faith is not some mystical cloud. But faith connects us to God and to His grace. Faith, you could say, is the lifeblood of the Christian. It is the means by which we live. As Paul famously said in 2 Corinthians, we live by faith and not by sight. Um, On Friday night, I went to a birthday party um, at Dan Lenoir. How's my French? (laughs) Not bad, is it? Accent, okay? Accent? (laughs) Oh, the French, we love them. Um, So anyway... It's that blind restaurant. Has anyone ever been to that blind restaurant before? It's kind of a crazy experience. It's in Farringdon, okay? So you walk in, and this blind waiter serves you. He takes you down, whole group, down into this blacked-out room. And literally, you cannot see anything. Okay, it's not like a dimly lit room. You cannot see anything. I had my eyes open. I could not see my hand in front of my face. And they serve you a meal. And so what I realized when I was in there is how dependent I am on my sight. And in that restaurant, I had to depend upon my other senses, my sense of hearing, my sense of touch, my sense of smell, my sense of taste. My, my other senses were starting to get exercised, and I was like, oh, I'm getting kind of comfortable with this. I like this. I haven't been so used to this. And I guess in that blacked-out room, I knew I was preaching on Sunday, and And um, that scripture came to mind where Paul says in Corinthians to the Corinthians, we don't live by sight. (laughs) We live by faith, which is a really interesting thing to say, isn't it? We depend so heavily upon our sight, but Paul is trying to get us into the realm of faith. And he's saying, don't depend too heavily on what you see. Depend more on the sense of faith that you have. When when Jesus has this conversation with Martha, he doesn't say, Martha, what do you see? Oh, I see a whole lot. I see my brother's dead. I see that you weren't here. I see a whole lot of chaos going on right here in my life. But Jesus says to her, he doesn't say, what do you see? He says, what do you believe, Martha? This is what Jesus is interested in. What do you believe? maybe a whole lot going on in your life right now. Sorry, I'm shouting a lot, aren't I, today? But faith is one of those things that just kind of rises up in you and causes you to be really excited and passionate. I wonder what you see in your life today. What is it that you see? If Jesus was to have a conversation with you today, maybe he would approach it in the same way that he did with Martha. Maybe you wouldn't necessarily say, hey, what do you see? And you're like, ah, yeah, I see a whole lot of crazy stuff going on in my life. Thanks, Jesus. Maybe Jesus would say, what do you believe? What are you standing in faith for? I'm not just the God of yesterday. I'm not just the God of tomorrow, but I'm the God of today. And Jesus wants you to hold a present faith, a now faith, a faith for today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do you have faith for today? 
And we don't just believe in Jesus because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. Who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not just that he has life to offer, he is life. Not just that he can give us some resurrection, he is the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. We talk about the gospel, the good news about the message of Jesus, the announcement of what has happened, and the very thing that makes this news good is the resurrection. Paul famously says in Corinthians once again that if not for the resurrection, all of our preaching, all of our faith, all of our service would be useless. It would be pointless because the resurrection is the thing that gives power and validity to the Christian message. Lazarus did not stay dead in that tomb, but like a scene out of the Michael Jackson thriller video, he came, he came walking out of that tomb to the awe and the amazement of everybody there. Nobody can defeat death, surely. But Jesus did. Just two weeks later, Jesus was hanging on a cross, taking on the sin of the world upon himself. But his story did not end there. His story did not end on the backside of Jerusalem in a place called Golgotha in a mass criminal grave. No, no, no. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and he defeated sin. Paul would go on to say, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? For death has been swallowed up in victory. Thank God for the victory that is in Christ Jesus. Can we thank God for what Jesus has done? And the situation is much worse than many of us would believe. On, I think, six or seven occasions in the New Testament, the writers of it say that we are not just bad people who need to be made good, but we are dead in our sins. We are dead like Lazarus in that tomb, lifeless in our soul. This is the condition of the human heart. And this is why we need Christ to be our resurrection and our life. Because He not only just tries to renovate our lives and fix us up partially, but rather He raises the very thing that is dead and returns it to life and gives us an entirely new life. This is what Jesus does for you and I. He not only is the source of life, but He is able today to sustain that very life in you and I. He is the resurrection and the life. Can we stand up together? Can we sing this out and really declare victory? Whatever it is that you're facing in faith today,